You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. When you came in this morning and you grabbed a bulletin and you saw the sermon outline, you may have thought you was going to be here all day, but you're not, okay? But I want to share 12 simple but powerful things about unity. Actually, probably my favorite subject to preach on in the house of the Lord. Uh, we have a lot of things that go on today, and families, and families are not unified. A lot of that happens in a church. It happens in our world, as we know. So today, there's no need for you to really turn in your Bible, because I put all that scripture there where it comes from in your handout, because we're going to be all over the, the map today. But we're in a... Part three of a short series called Vision. And today I want to talk about Christ's vision for a unified family. Now, if you'll remember, the night before Jesus died on the cross, he took these 12 men, 12 disciples that he had been training. You remember that? And he basically had them for about three and a half years. And they were there sharing a Passover meal together. And if you remember, there was this certain guy that decided to go out and betray him. Now, during the Passover meal, we need to understand that Jesus redefined the Passover to be called the Lord's Supper. And that's what we call it, the Lord's Supper or communion. But during the Lord's Supper, Judas left that upper room and he went out and betrayed Jesus to have him arrested. So Jesus, being Jesus, knows everything anyway, right? So Jesus knows that he's going to be dead and buried within 24 hours. He knows whatever he's going to say now would be his last words before his death. Now you do know, don't you, that the last words of dying people are always extremely important. And Jesus shared his most intimate thoughts in that passage. And what Jesus said and his last words before the cross are found in John chapters 13 through 17. And those five chapters are what we call the upper room discourse. Now, I don't have time uh, to show you all the verses, or we would be here for months, okay, that talk about unity in Scripture. But I'll tell you this, and I want you to see it. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Is it coming? Is it coming? Is it not there? There we go. The New Testament has more to say about protecting unity among Christians than it has to say about either heaven or hell. Now, let me ask you a question. You think it's important to know about heaven and hell? But it's even more important to know about unity when you think about it. In fact, God says so much about this concept that I'm going to have to just split this message in half and do it in two parts, okay? So next week, you'll get the other part. Today, what I'm going to do is give you a quick survey of what the Bible says about the importance of unity in the church and why it matters so much. So we're going to look at what Jesus said, then what Paul said, and what the first church did. Then in part two next week, we'll look at the specifics of how we're to fulfill Christ's vision for us. So real quick, here are 12 statements that summarize what the New Testament says about unity. Real simple. Number one, 
My unity with other believers is the proof that I'm saved. Isn't that amazing? Now, very familiar scripture. Look at it. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you say it. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are too. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have for one another. Amen? You know, my dad, my, my wife always cringes when I say this. She says, well, you shouldn't say that all the time. Well, I'm about to say it. I didn't give you any warning of this. My daddy, who was not a great spiritual man until the last five or six years of his life. But early in life, when I was in the ministry, he told me, he said, son, church people are some of the meanest people you'll ever meet. And you know what? He was absolutely right. You know, people that claim to be born again, have you ever had anybody to act like they wasn't a Christian in church? You understand? Now understand, some of the greatest people you'll ever meet are right here in this church building. But you understand, because we're not in unity with one another. And that resonated with me. You see, you prove you're a Christian not with a bumper sticker on your car and not by any other action. The Bible says right here, the proof that you're really a Christian is that you love other Christians in the church family. So my question is, are you doing that? Do you have love? Number two, the Trinity is our model for unity. And Jesus explains this in John 17, 11, when he says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So the Trinity is the model. Even when we baptize, we said the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, they're in harmony. They're in unity with one another. The three are one, and the Bible says that's the way we're to be. In the church, we are to be unified as one. Number three, Jesus' last prayer was that we'd live in unity. Now think about that. Jesus could have prayed many things. In verse 21, it says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now listen to that statement. Did you notice that Jesus ties other people coming to Christ with our unity? He says, other people will believe when they see Christians loving each other in unity. You agree with that? I love it. In the message translation, it says this. My goal for all of them is to become one heart and mind just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they be one heart and mind along with us. Then the world may believe that you sent me. You see, this is Jesus' vision and goal for you and me and for anybody who claims the name of Christ. That we would live in unity. Number four, God gives us his glory that will be unified. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Now what this means is the purpose of God's presence and power in our lives is to make us more loving. Not more harsh, 
Not more stubborn, not more opinionated, but more loving. He says, I gave them your glory so that we may be one and they may be one just as we are. So here's my question. Do you want God's glory in your life? Do you want God's power in your life? Do you want God's presence in your life? Jesus says he gives his glory. That's his power. To those who lay aside, don't miss this, secondary differences with other Christians. Secondary differences. These are the things that don't really matter. I was thinking about this today. I went over to Lima Community Church, Doug Boquist. Today is his last Sunday. He's going into another ministry of coaching pastors. And we had a surprise thing there today in the first service for him. There's about 15 of us pastors that showed up. But anytime a pastor leaves a church, it's easy to become, lose a little of that unity. Because everybody's got an opinion. Understand? Y'all do know that, right? And I was just thinking about what he's meant to me. Because he was praying for me before I ever came to this church. And he was always caring about this community. And boy, I never want to see that be lost. I pray that no matter who's in this pulpit, and when I'm dead and gone, or you run me off or whatever, that there will still be unity in this church. Guys, unity. It's all about unity. Without love, we have nothing. Without unity, we're nothing. We're divided. We need to understand that today. We don't need secondary differences. Number five, our unity is our greatest witness to believers. That is so simple, but so strong. That's verse 23. Jesus prays this. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Now, did you notice? This is the second time that Jesus connects the unity of Christians to winning the world to Christ. Remember I said that earlier. He's saying that the world will not be W-O-N, one, got it? W-O-N, if we're not, what? O-N-E, one, to Christ until Christians are one in unity. We will win the world. We will win this community. We will win this city, city when we're one, united in Christ. Another way of saying this is very simple. If unbelievers like what they see, they will listen to what we say. You believe that? But if they don't like what they see, they're not going to listen to what we say. Again, I like the message translation here in verse 23. It says this. Then they'll be mature in their oneness, giving the godless world the evidence that you've sent me and that you've loved them in the same way you love me. Do you understand this morning that the evidence of atheists, agnostics, and all other faiths is the love Christians have for each other? Now I want us to look at how the first church in Jerusalem practiced and applied all these verses we just looked at. What Jesus said about unity. And to do that... We've got to go back to the book of Acts, where we're going to learn two more important truths about the power of unity in a church family. Now, here's the, 
The sixth truth we learn from Scripture. Unity removes fear and creates boldness. What am I saying? That a unified church gives everybody more power and more courage than a divided church. Where do we find this? Acts 4, 24 and 31. Many of you will remember the story. Remember when Peter and John had actually been put in prison? They had done a miracle and they were preaching in Jesus' name. They couldn't help but speak about the name of Jesus. And when they came back to church, it says in verse 24, then all the believers united together in prayer. You see, that brings unity. When we pray together, it unifies us. And it says after the prayer, the building where they were, do you remember what the building did? It shook. It shook. When have you been in a building or a place that shook because of the prayers of the people? That must have been a pretty powerful prayer meeting. Amen. The building where they were meeting shook and they were all filled with God's Holy Spirit. And they began to speak God's message with boldness. So my question is to you this morning. Would you like to be fearless? Does fear plague you? Does insecurity plague you? Does anxiety plague you? Would you like to be bolder? Do you wish you were more confident in sharing your faith? Let me give you a little secret. Focus on your unity with other Christians. The Bible says when they were unified, they became bold in speaking the word of God. Now, don't miss this. Division creates fear. Unity removes fear. You get that? Wherever you find division in a church, it's going to create fear in that church. But unity removes fear. Division destroys vision. Did you catch that? Division destroys vision. But there's another thing that we learn from the first Christians in the book of Acts. And it's this, number seven. When a church is unified, everybody's needs are met. When a church is truly unified, the way that Christ wants us to be, everybody's needs, all the members' needs are met. And boy, we find that example in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had. Now, we've read that. We've heard that. We've studied that. But do we really believe that? Do we really do? Can you imagine? Not one of us in here lacking. No matter if you lost your job. No matter if you lost your family. No matter if your house burned down. No matter if you don't have a car. Because we all share everything. Are you hearing me this morning? This is what I'm talking about. The Word of God. They shared everything they had so nobody had any need. The Bible tells us in Acts 2 that this was impressive to the non-Christians in Jerusalem. I think it would be. I think that's just what's good about share what you wear. Don't share what you just want to throw away. And it's not good. Share it. I don't care if it's new. Just share what you got. Listen. It was impressive to the non-Christians in Jerusalem. 
that they had the favor of people because they said, see how they love one another. Now, we've looked at what Jesus said, and we've looked at what the New Testament Christians did in Jerusalem. Now, let's look at what Paul has to say about Christ's vision for unity in the church. You see, Paul spends a lot of time talking about the importance of unity in both his letter in the church of Corinth, a city in Greece, and to the church at Ephesus. He says it's a real big deal. So here's number eight. Baptism and communion are the visible signs of unity. You see, both of them are symbols of corporation into the body of Christ. Both of them visualize that we now just don't, listen, we don't just belong to Christ, we belong to who? Each other. We belong to each other. If you've been baptized, if you've taken communion, you don't just belong to Jesus. You belong to others. Everybody else in the family of God, everybody else in your church family. Now, first, we need to know baptism is a sign that I intend to protect the unity of the church family that I belong to. You say, well, where's that? Well, and what is it? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. He says, we're all different. I mean, just look around our church, okay? Obviously, we're all different, but we form one body. We've all been baptized in Christ's body by the same spirit. No matter whether we're Jew, whether we're Greek, whether we're Gentile, whatever, or slaves or free men, we have now all received the same spirit. He says, no matter what your cultural background is, your racial background is, your religious background is, it doesn't matter. He says that we've all received the same spirit. We've all been baptized into the body of Christ. Now, Paul goes on and points out not only baptism, but also taking communion as a sign of unity. Look at verses 16 and 17 the 1 Corinthians 10. The cup of blessing that we bless... Is it not a participation, participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. By the way, the Bible also says you should not take communion if you're out of unity with anybody else in your church family. Actually, it goes on to say you drink judgment on yourself. It, it, it really does. And you want to just be honest, how many of us have taken communion probably when we should not have taken it? I don't care if you're a pastor, a staff member, or just a born-again Christian. Because you had ought with somebody, you still had sin that you have not repented of. Jesus takes this thing very seriously. And we need to understand that. This morning. Here's the ninth thing that God says about unity in the church. Focusing on our common purpose creates unity. Well, isn't that a great thing? It should be. We find this in 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there may be that no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Guys, he's talking about church members. In other words, stop arguing among yourselves. It doesn't matter what you're arguing about. Just stop arguing among yourselves. Paul is saying, don't be program-driven. Don't be pressure-driven. Don't be popularity-driven. Don't be politically-driven. Don't be pleasure-driven. I got a lot of P's I can put in there. Don't be personality-driven. He said, be united in this P, purpose. That is what we call unity. Here's the next insight summarizing what the Bible says about unity. Number 10. Unity begins when we realize we're incomplete without each other. You see, God wired us in such a way that nobody gets all the gifts. That's why you've heard me say certain things in the church. If you are a greeter, you need to be greeting people. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Instead of good God, it's morning. <laughs> Y'all understand what I'm, what's good about it? You don't have that gift if that's the way you are. And then there's some of you, if we need something done, but you don't want any recognition, but then you work your rear end off and you behind the scenes, that's where you are. But you've got that gift, whether it is this. When it comes to share what you wear, some of you are going to sort clothes. Maybe somebody won't see you. Maybe you're going to be out there and that thing out there, it's very cold out there. But anyway, getting clothes. Some of you are going to be serving meals. Some of you are going to be praying with anybody. You understand we all have different gifts and we need to use those gifts. That's how we become complete in the body of Christ. Guys, we are incomplete without each other. God, God just wired us different ways. Our church can't function if we all have the same gifts, but you need to use your gifts that God has given you. You'll hear more about that next week in detail. I don't have them all. You don't have them all. That's why we need each other. That's why we're always saying, say it with me, we are better together. And that is so true. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21 20 and 21 and verse 25. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. In other words, all of us in here, we've got different gifts. We've got different backgrounds. We're different races. We're different sizes and shapes. We're different genders. We're all different parties of the body of Christ, but we're still just one body. You see, the Christian church is the place of all places where there should be equality and justice. Did you hear that? We are to care for each other equally, not show preference, not show prejudice, not show bias. There must never be any division in the body. He says instead, all the members must care for each other equally. And by the way, this is your job. It's not your pastor's job. It's your job as a Christian to protect the unity of the church family. 
Listen, the Bible talks about removing anybody who creates division and disunity and ensure your brothers and sisters are treated equally. Proverbs 6, 19, there's a verse in there about those who sow discord among the brethren. And guys, let's just say it. I mean, in churches, there's always gossip. There's always rumors. I'm amazed what I hear sometimes. Well, pastor, I heard, did you hear it come from my mouth? You ever been accused of anything? And you wonder where they get it. It's like you've heard me say many times, so-and-so was in an accident. It started out, it broke their finger. It broke their hand. It broke their arm. They were dismembered. It tore out their heart. They had to cut them out of the car. They died. But all they had was a really bad fingernail. But by the time the word gets out, you know how it goes. Don't you know how the rumor mill works? Satan has a heyday. I've said it so many times. The devil never has to go outside the walls of the church to do his work. Listen, related to this, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Not individually. You're not the body of Christ by yourself. I'm not the body of Christ by myself. Together, we are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of that body. And you're a necessary part. So he says, when somebody's suffering, you need to be empathetic. Somebody hurting, you need to be empathetic. Somebody's frustrated, be empathetic. Empathy is key to unity. Here's number 11. Jesus died to unite us, not to divide us. That's why it's so important what we're talking about. This is not some minor issue that we're covering right now. You see, Jesus died to unite us, to reconcile us, not to divide us. Ephesians 2, 15 and 16 says this. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. You see, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He reconciled us. He united all the different kinds of people into one body. In fact, in Ephesians, it says we're a new race together. He brought us back to God, ending hostility. There's no place for any kind of bigotry or preferential treatment. Lastly, Jesus expects me to work hard at unifying Christians. You see, this is not something for somebody else. If you claim to be a Christian this morning, this is part of your job description. Jesus expects us to work hard at unifying Christians in the church family. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 says this, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now that's a direct statement from God's Word. Because one day, we'll stand before God and He'll say, Did you do that? Did you make every effort to keep the unity and the peace of the Spirit in your church family? Did you bind yourself together 
with everybody else to live in peace with each other. You see, I'm heartbroken today that today's Christians are known for other things than our love for each other. You see, we're not known for what I'm talking about today, what God says is in His Word here. You've heard me say many times, often we are known for what we're against more than what we're for. But we don't want to be that way. If you were to go out on the street today and interview 100 people, what do you think of first when you think of a born-again Christian? What do you think the number one answer would be? Well, I seriously doubt if you ask 100 people that, anyone would say, man, those guys really love each other. I mean, they really, really, really love each other. But that's the one thing that Jesus wants us to be known for. I think the one thing that Jesus wants us to be known for wouldn't even make the list. That's how off course the church is today. So my brothers, man, my sisters right here at LBT, listen to me. We need to practice Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. This should be one of our key passages for this year. I love it. It says this. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side. For the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. In other words, caring about what they think about the gospel more than they think about anything else. Then he says this. This is a clear sign to them for their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, in part two of this message, you're going to look at the practical ways God wants us to implement his vision for us. And this is the vision of Christ for you. It's the vision of Christ for our church. But I want to close with a couple more verses And I want to make a clear statement here that you probably never thought of before. Here's the statement. Ready? Jesus is still waiting for us to be the answer to his prayer 2,000 years later. Jesus is still waiting for us to be the answer to his prayer When he prayed that we would be one. That the world would look at the church and say, man, those people really do love each other. They're a family. Look at this. The subject that was uppermost in his mind as he's getting ready to go to the cross was this. That we, his children, would be unified. That we would defend each other. Not criticize each other. That we would love each other. Not argue with each other. That we, his family, would model love. That we, his family, would not be divided over secondary issues. But that we would all, listen, would make our allegiance to each other the priority of any other allegiance. 
You know why? Because Satan hates the unity of the church. He hates the unity of Christians. Why? Because a church that is unified, a unified church is an unstoppable church. The first five chapters of Acts talks about the unity they had in the first church. And we all, we will have the power of Acts. We will have the miracle in Acts when we have the unity of Acts. You see, Satan is the divider. He's the source of all conflicts. Why? Because he knows a church that is divided is a powerless church. Now hear me this morning. We're not a divided church. But what I'm telling you is we don't want to ever be a divided church. And I praise the Lord for that. So I want to close this message by echoing a prayer that Paul prayed. Honestly, it's my deepest prayer for you. It's my deepest prayer for me. It's my deepest prayer for our church family, actually for every church family too. It's in Colossians 2 too. This is what I've asked of God for you, that you will be encouraged and knit together by the strong ties of love. You see, one day you and I are going to stand before God and he's not going to ask us how much money did we make in life? How much education we got? Did you convert anybody to these political views that you had? Who'd you vote for? He's not going to ask that. It is much more likely God will ask, did you learn to love your brothers and sisters in my family, even those you didn't agree with? Did you learn to love the members of the family who were different than you? Do you realize if we're honest, we just have to tolerate some people in our own families? I mean, I know my wife just tolerates me sometimes. You can imagine what it's really like in life. You know. What I'm saying today is this. One of the five purposes of life is learning how to really love. The church is the laboratory for that. It's how we are to practice learning how to really love. Because we don't really do it really well. Nobody teaches you how to really love. The Bible says, without love, I'm nothing. The Bible also says the only thing that matters is faith. Express through love. Let's pray together. I have to ask myself, as I look at all these verses we've run through, is this the top priority in my life? Loving other Christians. So this morning, I have to urge you to ask yourself that question. Now, if you're not part of the family of God, then you need to become a part of Today, because it's the only thing that's going to last. Nothing else is going to last. No career is going to last. No education is going to last. No marriage is going to last. No nation is going to last. The only thing that's going to last on this earth for eternity is the church, is the family of God. God created the universe because he wanted a family and you need to become part of God's family. How? First, by committing your life to Christ today. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why don't you just ask Him to come into your life, forgive your sin, and accept His death and burial, and tell Him to be the boss of your life. Maybe you're here today and you just have your own inner struggles with someone or someone in your family or whatever it may be. Whatever you need today, as we sing that hope, all my hope, is in Jesus. That's all it is. 
People, we have tried to put hope in everything, but the only hope we have today is in Jesus Christ. So whatever your need is today, whatever you need, you can find it all in Jesus. Father, today, thank you for allowing us to be in this place. Lord, for those who are watching online, that God, your spirit there, God, your, your word is never void. That God, you would minister to them at their point of need today. We love you and thank you. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.